Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown, he's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Well, the hiatus is over. We are finally back in a newly carpeted setup and happy to be with you for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Joel Hooper. I'm Dave Brooks. It's dark in here. Yeah, it's black walls. Much darker. Yeah, much darker in all of the rooms now. We've got newly carpeted floor as well. What all of that has meant though is that recording a podcast episode has been a little difficult to do. But we're glad to say that we are back and in studio and ready to rock with you today. So welcome to the show. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater just down from the airport on Highway 2 here outside, just outside of Bemidji. You can catch $5 movie nights there on Tuesdays. We're recording this on a Tuesday. $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. You can catch what's in the box office here and now at the Bemidji Theater Located on Highway Two, so we'll give a shout to out to Missy a... and the crew. Ran into her just the other day, actually. She, was, I just listened to the latest podcast, loved it. Oh, awesome! Here you go. So here's a new one, Missy. Yeah, as I was saying, we are happy to have them as the sponsor of the podcast. It's great having the local theater here in town be the sponsor for the podcast, and we we love getting to partner with them as well. And, so, and hey, just for concession reasons, it's going to be warm for probably the remainder of July. They have ices at ice-cold beverage and right. shaded air-conditioning entertainment. What a great spot to escape some summer heat. They make it comfortable oh, in yeah. there to catch a movie. That's right. Well, Dave, we're back. At long last, we are back and able to to do an episode together. It's, I have missed you so much. I don't know if I'm quite as tearful about that, but I've missed you well, too, uh, buddy. Uh, I'll take it back there. <laughs> I'm fine to see you, but you know, we're, we're, we're good. The emotion is nice, though. I mean, that's that's nice that, you, that it meant so much to you. <laughs> but we're back. We've got plenty to share about today, plenty to get into and talk about. We're also kind of still surveying how the, the movie scene is looking here as we're in the middle of summer, checking out how things have been playing out. I mean, we did our review on Top Gun Maverick, and... The movie continues to just be a phenomenon and a huge hit. It is maybe the movie of the year. You were asking me, you know, what's going to give Top Gun Maverick a run? Well, there there are a couple of things that could. In particular, that Avatar sequel at the end of the year might give it a run. But right now, it's the movie of the year when it comes to the kind of business that it's done. It's, it's just been a smash hit of smash hits. Yeah, they have also delayed getting it on to uh, streaming platforms. And I know the Paramount Plus wanted to get it on real quick. But they have it. It is still exclusively in theaters and it's pulling in money. You got to give a shout out, not just to this movie, but also Sony. Uh, a lot of their movies that have come out have really kind of, you know, the people that were saying, well, movie theaters are done. It's over. Well, clearly that death has been exaggerated because this Thank and others goodness. are showing that that is not the case even close. Everyone is going to see this and not just see it once, see it again and again and again. So this is very, very good. Clearly, there is an audience for good stories to be told. 
What a shocker. Yeah. And, and then there are some surprises that aren't, they're not going as gangbusters as people thought. I mean, the MCU has been the box office champion for the last several years, for the most part, uh, Avengers movies. And now, uh, Spider-Man Far From, or No Way Home, did great. Uh, Doctor Strange did great. Now comes Thor Love and Thunder. It's, it's okay, but it's not doing super, super hot. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a bomb by any stretch, but it's not making the money that people were thinking, oh, this is a shoe and it'll make a trillion dollars, and it's not making that number. It's not making Top Gun money. Not resounding business. No. And here's the thing, though. It comes at the end of a stretch that you just described, Dave, of three different movies within the Marvel Cinematic Universe that have been out in the last seven or so months. And... There is fatigue, I think, that is attached to that. There is fatigue for moviegoers of the casual sort. Marvel fans are going to go. They're they're going to go. They're going to check it out. They're probably going to enjoy it regardless. But what about for the everyday moviegoer, the, the person who maybe is making some selective choices here in terms of what they want to go see? All right, I've been to a superhero movie back during the winter. I've been to one in May when Doctor Strange came out. Do I want to go to another one again? Do I want to go see another one that's in the Marvel Universe again? I think that's what we're seeing a little bit of here. I'm hearing a couple of criticisms, though, too. Chris Hemsworth is a great actor, and he's got great comedic timing. Now, the first Thor movie, he's pretty straight as far as his character goes. But as they discover, this guy's really funny if you let him be funny. Thor has become more of a comedic, I don't want to say sidekick, but he's more of a of a, a comedian in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. They've certainly worked it into the character and that's not a bad thing, but they're also the, some of the criticism I'm hearing is that it, it doesn't, the stakes don't seem to be lofty. It's more of a comedy than anything else. Yes. The other thing is very this, similar to Ragnarok from what I've heard. Yeah. But Ragnarok was like the ultimate road trip movie in a way, you know, and now this one is, I hear it's good and people are enjoying it, but it's not lofty, it's not heavy, it's very funny, which is good, but they didn't go to see a comedy comedy, they went to see something that's got some action, that's got some comedy, that's building towards something, and that's the other criticism, and we'll kind of have this segue into our main topic for today. There isn't a shared storyline, really, along the MCU movies, where before you had the Tesseract, and then you had this. The fractured universe seems to be, the multiverse is not the storyline, but it seems to be the MacGuffin that's going on right now. All the Spider-Man converging in No Way and No Way Home. Uh, Doctor Strange, of course, really exploited that. I haven't seen the new Thor movie, so I can't tell you if we're touching with the multiverse. But it doesn't feel like Phase Four of the MCU is really building toward anything. You definitely got the sense in Phase One that we're going towards something, and you knew this Avengers assemblage was coming, and that was building towards something, and those were building towards something, but you're not getting the impression that we're building to anything now. Stories are still being continued. I mean, we most notably have seen that with Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch. We see that from going from where she was in WandaVision and that limited series to what happens in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And you're seeing character arcs continuing. You're seeing portions of stories continuing. You're even seeing heroes versus villains kind of stories that that have developed along the way, which is what we got here in, in Thor. But 
all of it doesn't have a really overarching purpose. There's, what, there's what's sheer... the point here? What what exactly are we building to in terms of the larger scale story? Yeah. That's much harder to figure out right now. There's shared history. It does not seem like we're building toward a shared future. Now, the Guardians of the Galaxy are in this new Thor movie, so there's that. But again, at the end of The Last Avengers, Thor just hopped on their ship, and well, you knew they were going to be together, so okay. But are they coming towards something together, all of them, is Wanda and the Guardians and so on? They've said they're not going to do another Avengers movie because there's no Tony Stark, there's no Scarlet Witch, or there's no uh, Scar- uh, uh, Black Widow, uh, and so on and so forth. So they're getting away from things. There's a new Captain America, but they're not coming to any kind of um, combining down the road, or at least there's no hint of that. Right. So there's no shared storyline other than something in the past. Well, the blink was a big thing. Well, yeah, but that was before. What's coming up? Where are we going to meet this threat? And we can't do it alone, so we need to do it together. You're you're not having that come up. Thanos isn't coming back, as far as we know. Um, so it's maybe that's it. Maybe it's fatigue of the franchise. Maybe it's like, you know, back in the day, Westerns were a big, big thing. And then they kind of had their day, and then they kind of went away. Maybe, maybe superheroes are like, well, if it's not going where I want it to go, eh, what's next? What's on the other channel? Flip. Well, there, there are two things that stand against that in some ways. Number one is the fact that we still have these individual stories that can be told and that are cropping up in, in different ways across the MCU. So you've got those to be able to bank on. The other one is the presence of the multiverse. And if there's going to be any sort of pathway forward here for Marvel, it feels like The multiverse presents a wealth of possibilities that could come from it in terms of timeline, in terms of where you would go, what you would want to do with it. Now that they've delved into the multiverse a little bit more, it seems like that's where there's a pathway to go here. And I guess I'll add a third item, too, and this goes back to the individual character stories. You look at the properties that are still to come within the MCU, and by the way, I mean, we mentioned earlier about the fact that maybe avatar will make a run at top gun maverick what about the black panther sequel what about wakanda forever maybe that is going to be a that kind of huge 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 story and huge movie at the end of the year as well because there's a lot even just away from the story itself that that is attached in with this movie, of course, with Chadwick Boseman's passing and what happens now with that franchise. I think a lot of people are going to come out in droves to see curiosity that because of else. curiosity and because the first one did so incredibly well. It was a phenomenon. And now it's a, a question of how is this one going to follow that up? So the MCU rolls on. It just is on a much more individualized basis right now is what it's looking like. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And, you know, you brought it up real quick, so maybe we'll kind of segue just a little bit. When Top Gun Maverick was about to come out, they were naysayers. Well, it's been a million years since the last one, and it's not 1986 anymore, and Maverick should be grounded. It's not. Well, now it's going down as one of it's the number one movie of 22 thus far. Uh, and it could very well hold on to that number. It's clearly one of the more higher-grossing movies, pandemic or not pandemic. It's clearly up there in numbers in a major way. Well, now there's pushback against the new Avatar movies. Now, Avatar 2 and 3 have already been filmed, and they're coming out, and there's going to be a 4 and 5 that they haven't filmed yet. Um, But a lot of, well, I don't know. Avatar kind of jostles back and forth with Avengers Endgame as the highest grossing, most successful, and highly reviewed movies ever of all time. 
And that didn't happen by accident. You know, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen is one of the higher grossing movies of, what, 2006, whatever year that came out. But people went to see it in droves because the first one was fun. And then they realized this is not a good movie. So it is one of the higher grossing movies, but it was almost by accident. You don't get to be (laughs) to high grossing status like where Top Gun is right now and where Avatar, the first one, went to by accident. It was good. I don't know about blue people. Yeah, well, millions and millions and millions of people maybe weren't sure when it first came out. And they went anyway. They loved it. I remember the best praise I could give it. I showed it to my wife at home on on disc. And she didn't really want to watch it. It was one of those nights where I got to choose the movie. And she's And somewhere near the end, she's like, you know what? I didn't expect to like this movie, but I didn't really expect to like this movie. I like this movie. And it was a movie-going experience kind of movie because of how they made it and just the visual effect portion of it was was so standout. Do not count out James Cameron. Do not count out the return to Pandora. It's going to be different. The Way of Water, I think they're calling it, Avatar. Yeah. Uh, so stay by. Stay tuned. This is going to be coming out around Christmas time. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we get into our fall preview. We'll probably do that in about a month or somewhere close to that. Uh, but do not count that out. You'll notice a distinct theme to the topics that we talked about to sort of kick off the show today, and that a lot of them are franchise-related, and that's because we are delving back into talking about franchises today. We've got kind of our own mini-franchise within Rick and Nick Talk Flicks regarding talking franchises, because it's been a topic in the past. We've discussed franchise fatigue in particular in the past. Today we're talking about when is ma- putting a franchise together a good idea or a bad idea, and... What makes a movie one that is franchise-worthy as well? I was thinking about when you have a very common thing that happens, Dave, after a movie has been released. These days, it's not merely about celebrating the success of the singular movie that is in theaters, this this singular property that's in theaters. There's so much talk that happens afterward and so much chatter of, is this movie going to get a sequel? It's become kind of this inevitable talking point i remember when knives out came out and did phenomenal that was that was a highly successful movie and just this project that had this this outstanding cast it was well put together very successful at the box office very successful critically and then came that announcement knives 2 is in the works yep. knives 2 is in progress and being made which we will see sometime here in the future and it was like all right it this, this is a franchise-worthy property now. It's got a sequel. It's got its own little world that it has put together. And why that and why not others? Right. How come others that try to go the franchise route, why do they fall on their face? Well, the easy answer on why that one is money, isn't it, Dave? Some, yeah. Why are we going to make a franchise? Well, everybody wants the mansion. If Let's do it for money. Let's make this part one, and we'll do 17 parts, and it'll be great. But it doesn't always work out that way. Let's parallel that into another industry. Food. Restaurants. You know, I've been to the original Starbucks out in Seattle and got a chance to get some coffee there one time when I was out there. I was pretty early there when they were opening up, so I was pretty close to the front of the line, thank goodness, because well, there's know, a long line there. I've been to the first ever Caribou since I'm sitting really? on some, I have. Oh, cool. That's in Minnesota. Yeah, so you get to, as he takes a slurp of his Caribou. <sighs> When you get to those places, you realize it all started right here. It, it starts with one business. There is 
well, it doesn't exist anymore, but there was the first ever McDonald's. Yep. It doesn't exist anymore, right? I think no. they, they scrapped it. Well, it's interesting. That's a whole other story. Yeah. Go, go watch yeah. the movie or read the book, The Founder, and you'll learn all about Ray Kroc and the McDonald's brothers. And But yeah, the original McDonald's, not Ray Kroc's, does no longer exist. That's what I thought. So, But there is that one place where these fast food chains or restaurant chains in general, they all started with one. Mm-hmm. It all begins there. And now what are they? They are a restaurant franchise but does every restaurant does every movie begin with the idea of this is going to be the first of a 1200 point plan not everyone not everyone but i bet it's a thought sometimes and yet when it gets to the box office when it is there in theaters and if it's doing successful successful business for you i mean that's where the conversation naturally begins doesn't it and and you can't help but wonder is there more to this story is there more that we could pick up are there threads that are here that could lead to more but well, it's like to go on with your restaurant idea when you're eating and you finish what you've taken and you're still kind of hungry you want a second helping you like what you had i would like some more and i've got an appetite for it and hence well, maybe we could make this happen. Yeah, but you're all the way across town, or you're in the next town. Well, we'll open another one in the next town over, so you won't have to drive so far. And that's how it goes. And it has to be a combination of doing really good business and getting high praise, yeah. great reviews. If that com- if that combination goes together, although the reviews one, I think, matters less. Mm. If you have people who, who come strongly to, to go see your movie – You've got something in terms of potential of a potential sequel, but like think about some of the animated movies, Dave, that have become franchises. Like with the first one, some of them it's not like they've been resounding critical successes, but they've been resounding enough box office successes with their target demographic that they've gone, hey, we could do something with this. And maybe critically, they were pretty well liked. You know, maybe not. This is one of the best movies ever made. But pretty well liked critically enough to go. I think we can make something out of this. There's exceptions to all those rules. You sure. can look. You can look at say. I'll give you an, a good a, an example of two different directions here. Look at the Fast and the Furious franchise. You get that's to, a great point. You get to a point where I think you got to Tokyo Drift or maybe the one after that, and you're like, why are we making these movies? And then you got to give a lot of credit to Justin Lin, who came in as the director, and he had a lot to do with the story, and he totally retooled that thing. And now Fast Five, I think it was, the one that really kind of turned it around. All of a sudden, these became real popular movies again. This is a franchise that was just you know barely on life support to keep. It was making just enough money that we'll do another one. And then they totally revitalized everything, and it shot new life into it. Well, now maybe we're coming to the end of the road again. Maybe we need to. But then you look at something like, say, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yep. At some point, you get to the point where you'd see the movie trailer, and here's and it, nothing to do with Johnny Depp, just the franchise itself. Um, I don't want to see another one. Did anyone ask for another one? Why are we doing four? Why are we doing five? Why are they doing part 12? Can't we just be done with the pirates thing right now? We're just kind of, and it finally petered down. It was making just enough money, but you had the Disney juggernaut behind it. Well, they just spent how much money revitalizing the pirates ride at Disney world and Disneyland. You got to have this stuff that you see on the ride show up on screen now because it can't be irrelevant. So we got to push it. You got the juggernaut of Disney pushing it to make it happen. 
and so on and so forth. Universal and making the whole big thing, you got to make Harry Potter work, you know, and so on and so forth. Even though it's kind of done, Fantastic Beast really isn't really taken off at the box office, but they they got the whole section of the theme park. You can't make it irrelevant right after you build it. You got to keep it going. So why do it? Money. Money. <laughs> That's that was perfect. Money. Yeah, it it really is. It it depends on money. Money makes makes all of this go around. It's it makes these projects go. It makes future projects elsewhere go. That's that's kind of the sad truth because I wish I could say that it was narratively based. I wish I could say that it's that it's all based around the fact that they've got this this huge story, this grandiose story that they have a whole lot to tell about. But it doesn't really work that way. It's it's, it's not as as pure as we would like it to be in terms of the story has more to it, and we're going to have another movie to tell with it. It's if the money is there, yeah, we can find some story threads. We'll get writers in the writing room, and we'll put something together that'll work. But that's not, you know, there's, for every one of those that works, you might get one out of a big bunch that actually kind of works. For example, you hear about like Hasbro or Parker Brothers or something. They're going to sell the rights to a board game to Hollywood to make a movie version of it. What? Why? Oh, remember, Battleship? Battleship comes uh. to mind. At what? But then you get the offshoots like Clue that was a great movie. And to the point, the talk is Ryan Reynolds is circling about doing another Clue movie. That could work. If you've ever seen, have you seen the first one, the original? Yes. It's a great movie. And it holds up over repeat viewing. It's a cult classic. Yes, absolutely. It is at breakneck pace. And there's so much funny. It's almost like watching a Naked Gun movie. You can watch that movie 5, 10, 20 times, and you're still picking up on stuff that you didn't see the first 19 times. Oh, my gosh, that's so funny. I never heard him say that before. It's a wonderful movie. Battleship, not so much. But why are we doing it? Because we made a movie deal. Because we got money out of it. So we're going to drag this out. It's like it's like asking somebody out on a date that you're really not interested in, but it's Friday night and you don't want to sit alone, so you're going to decide to just and do that. It, nothing generally good comes out of that. We're going to over-stylize it. We're going to try to hit certain yes. demographics. That's that's pretty much all the things that they did there. One quick note on Clue. If they are actually circling possibly doing another Clue-related project, are they going to do multiple endings like the first one? Because I Don't think that's know. part of the appeal of the first one is the fact that they had different endings. It was a gimmick that didn't necessarily work. And Clue, movie-wise, box office-wise, didn't do well at the box office. But it became but a it, cult classic. Not every good movie does well at the box office. Shawshank bombed, and it's one of the best movies ever made. Right. The Wizard of Oz didn't you know, go crazy at first, and it caught on as time went on. So you can't just look at box office response. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen did great at the box office, but the movie's horrible. Uh. So you got to look at a bigger barometer than just that. Clue was great, and it was inspired. And Deborah Hill, who had a lot to do with John Carpenter and Halloween, was largely in charge of that movie. And it was a great comedic cast. Um, everybody on that movie rocked. And it just, it was inspired, and it worked, and it was gothic, and it's it's a funny movie with, you know, not really scary, but it's all about murder, you know? It worked. Battleship? No. Another thing that helps franchises in a big way, Dave, to be able to get launched is when you have elements within the movie that are especially compelling and keep you wanting to come back over and over again and to see it over and over again. 
I think about Despicable Me, which has another of its related movies coming out this summer with Rise of Gru, and or that has come out this summer with Rise of Gru. And what do you have at the center of that? You've got the minions. You you have these these adorable little sidekick characters who are in there. And yeah, Steve Carell voicing Gru in the first Despicable Me movie that was that was a standout character and a standout part of that movie when you've got. This this hardly recognizable voice of Steve Carell's that's that's voicing this villain character and a, and a different concept on on the villain. But what else worked about that movie? You've got these minions, these adorable minions who are supposed to be this villain's sidekicks, and there's a there's a treasure trove of they're them within cute. his lair. Yeah, they're adorable, and you've got all you've got all of that, and suddenly you've got franchise fodder. Right there. You've got something you can build on. You've got something that you can work with. You need to have really compelling characters who can be at the center of it. That's part of what made Star Wars so great. Look at the cross-section of characters you've got in there, including alien and droid characters who are in there, too. I mean, you've got this walking carpet who you've got with the group who makes things a little bit more compelling with his very presence. That's Chewbacca, by the way, in case any of you out there didn't get that reference. Thank you for that contribution. It helps to have really compelling characters, doesn't it? It helps to have compelling threads, whether it's characters or a location or or some kind of really, really intriguing plot. Things where, yes, you can have one good singular movie out of it, but you also see a wealth of possibilities and a very large canvas with those characters with those locations with those things characters are a major part of what makes a franchise successful i mean if you you mentioned star wars before you got luke and han and leia you got the droids you got the wookies you got the guy in the mask with a lack of breathing steps not to mention a really good villain yeah absolutely and one of the best of all time you've got great characters but you also just especially the original trilogy such development with those characters, you've got, oh, it's a family saga, it turns out. You've got this farm boy nobody turning into maybe one of the greatest warriors, so to speak, that the the galaxy has ever seen. So how do you you know continue to make those happen? Star Wars is an example, and we'll get a little bit more into this as we go, of a franchise that was the franchise, which in later years has kind of petered out a little bit. They're trying to make it do more, but it's not really truly achieving what everyone thought was a shoe in. It's got success, but it's also got a measure of failure. And we'll we'll pivot back to that a little bit later. But the characters are what really make these things happen. Everyone was concerned about Harry Potter and his crew of schoolmates and uh, how are they going to make it through and will Snape be able to, you know, come in and do something good to protect and how about you got bad guys, you got good guys, will Harry meet his match? Oh my goodness, someone's going to die in the land of the last book and of course the movie too, will Harry live? It was one of those situations that it was the characters that you really cared about, they were well developed and they weren't just stuck in a bottle, they evolved. Over time, you were concerned about their arc as a story and where they're going to get to. I like that you brought up Darth Vader as well because it takes having a really good villain, too, or or complexity to a villain-related character. That's how a horror movie franchise is born. It's, It's not necessarily out of these protagonists. Because most of them get killed off in those movies. It, it's all about the antagonist. It's Well, I guess I should say one big exception to that would be Jamie Lee Curtis in the Halloween movies. Very big exception to that. But the villain is so often at the center of some of these franchises as well. And 
you you have you don't have to look any further than horror movies. Um, but again, there can be good heroic characters. Ripley in the Alien movies again, a very very compelling heroine in those movies, and and somebody who is able to to stand against the the really compelling villain that you've got there which is this alien life form and all that comes with that and that's that's why they went back to the well and back into space for for aliens and continued on with that but even there you've got a big franchise fatigue you've got ridley scott a master filmmaker in a lot of ways that's gone back and he hasn't really been able to duplicate that success i think he can make movies that are beautiful but what's on the page that's not he has an input into that, but that's he's not a writer. He'll team up with somebody, he'll throw in ideas, but then that's it. He'll make them beautiful. But Prometheus, I didn't think it was that good of a movie. I, I liked it. I really didn't. It's beautiful. Don't you, get me wrong. Another rare instance where you and I are disagreeing on something, it, but I, I really liked Prometheus. Story wise, it just it didn't gel. It was, you know, the the most stupid of people that if anyone had half a brain, that movie would be five minutes long. Because everyone, why? There's a strange goo. Let's touch it. Why would you do that? You know, I'm sure NASA or whatever scientific agency sent them out, Wayland or whatever. Uh, Wayland Corp. They yep. will train you not to touch the alien goo. Why are you touching the goo? And then there you go. Now they train them to be discoverers because they wanted to figure those things out and to learn about that stuff. You know, uh, it's it, it was a beautiful <laughs> movie, but it just it, it doesn't hold up. I mean, it's not that it's nothing to be valued of it. I mean, I could turn it on and watch it, but I'm not going to seek it out, I don't think, unless I'm in an alien kick. But, um, you know, they, we're talking about characters. You can also look at the adverse of that, where you've got, say, the Bond movies. You know, the bad guys are the central part of any particular Bond movie, but unless you're talking Blofeld, and in most of those, he's in the background. He's on the peripheral. They've kind of brought him back to the forefront a little bit more lately, but it's all about Bond. And from movie to movie to movie, generally speaking, aside from Bond and M and Q and Moneypenny, that's it. That's the and everyone except Bond is a background character. Judy Dench was by far the most prolific M of any of those movies. But everyone before that was, you know, here Bond, here's your here's your mission. Off you go. And that was pretty much it. With you, all of them. The most involved M. Although yes. Bernard Lee's M it, no. it kind of depended on the movie if he was a little bit more involved or not, but certainly not to the extent no, that Judy Dench close. was. They were all yeah. cameos. Come on in, Bond, you know, sit down, here's the mission, off you go. And that's it. You don't see him until maybe the last reel. Or he'd pop up on site occasionally in the midst of a Rarely. mission. But it was rare. Rare. Yeah. It was all about whoever was playing Bond at the time. They usually had had a pretty interesting bad guy, but not always. Bond girls were interesting. The main henchmen were interesting. You had some colorful characters, and then you never saw them again. And it was a complete new page. The next adventure. It's only really the Daniel Craig era that there was a continuing plot thread. And in the last one, it was kind of clumsily all tied together with no time to die, so that you find out later. And Inspector too. That they're all connected. You didn't see it that really. Was Spectre. Spectre, especially, but even more so in No Time to Die. They're even more connected. And it was okay. It was interesting, but it was a little contrived. But okay, done. You know, um, it was it was to a point where that when you have the Bond and you have those characters, it, you don't have the characters to rely on from film to film to film, except for Bond. Everything is new, but they are so formulaic. But there's a couple of movies that'll kind of break from the formula. Uh, and it's not always to the greatest of success. License to Kill broke from that formula. and eh. But Honor Majesty's Secret Service broke from the mold. 
And at first, it wasn't so appreciated, and it's really grown in respect since then. Skyfall, that includes certainly, me. Oh yeah. yeah, Skyfall breaks from the mold and the formula, but it was one of the better Bond movies, I think. Yeah. So it depends. The formula works most of the time, but on occasion, when they break from it, doesn't work out so well. So character, 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 and Bond is almost an anomaly in that regard. Definitely. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. We're talking franchises today, when they're good ideas, when they're not so good ideas. Let's talk the good. Let's go the good, the bad, the ugly Well, here. I, I want to bring something okay, up within okay. the good topic that you actually spoke on much earlier here in the episode, Dave. Well. <laughs> because I think, I think a lot of franchises start with really good intentions or for good reason. Like... It's generally because there has been a very, very, very successful first entry or even moderately successful first entry that warrants going and and doing something further with it. And I say in most cases because sometimes a sequel is a stretch where it's like, did we really need this? And people are thinking that right away from the get-go. But what happens when you are in the midst of a franchise I think is very telling too because – In a lot of instances and cases, these story arcs get started, but you reach a certain point within the quote-unquote franchise or series of sequels where you can just tell things are petering out. And it's sometimes you get really good sequels, sometimes it just dies right there on the sequel. Third movies are very hard to find quality in. True. Fourth movies, exceptionally hard to find quality in. I mean, it it gets really challenging by that point because how do you keep this thing fresh? I mean, even if you go further back in time, movies within a series of movies were sometimes being released at like two years at a time, which is kind of startling to think about. Some of the Bond movies were one a year. Yeah, early on in the franchise, they... They were just ripping them off. Yeah, one at a time. Don't they ripping them off? Well, you were ripping them off in the uh, novel reel, sources. But reeling, yeah. reeling them off there one at go. a time is what I meant to say. But but with Bond, they had some source material to go off of, and yet they were creating these original stories that came from it, though, too. True. But, but when you realize that they're reeling it off so quickly, sometimes you start to see how, for some franchises, they run out of steam by the time they get into those midway entries. I mean... Look at the Alien movies. By the time it got to the third and fourth ones there, I mean, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, I mean, it was just, that that franchise was was dead in the water at that particular point, and then got a revival thanks to going to a different part of the timeline with what it did. So, uh, uh, more of a revival. Mm. Like, I mean, they, they've got... They got a couple movies out of it. Yeah. So. But uh, anyway, anyway. Back, back to the point. There are those those exceptions, though, where a franchise does find a second life in many ways. Yeah. You, you talked about it with the Fast and Furious movies, and I thought that was a great example because Fast and Furious started that turn in, in a better direction. And although I, I still look Tokyo Drift, I mean, there, there were things to like about some of those other ones, but as far as a, a greater mass appeal, started turning things around there at Fast and Furious, and then came Fast Five, and that one really got it going the right direction. Like, hey, this is working again now. Same with Mission Impossible. They hit MI3, and then Ghost Protocol, and they got that franchise turned around when it looked like that might be dead in the water. They found they found a, a particular avenue, and they ran with it. Um, Mad Max, Fury Road. It's almost going Un- another direction unreal. now. Incredible. I mean, they, they took that franchise, which was done, 
And they found something that became one of the best action movies ever and just worked on a ton of levels and and that people really, really enjoyed so much that they're like, we can do stuff with this again. Like, this this really worked. Yeah, and it, it turns out that in the last one, the whole Furiosa character, Charlize Theron's character, kind of stole the movie from the title character, right. Mad Max, after Tom Hardy had taken over from Mel Gibson. And now they're making, uh, they're filming it right now, a Furiosa spinoff. It does not have Charlize Theron. It's more of a background right. prequel. Um, we'll see if that works or not. Um, but it very, very interesting. So when you bring in a new dynamic and a new character, but the whole idea of Mad Max in the first place was usually you're finding somebody trying to rebuild themselves. The first Mad Max movie was watching a decent man lose his humanity. And by the end of the movie, he almost is as bad a person just on a general level as all the badness around him in a term of revenge. But over the next two movies, intentional or not intentional, you're watching him build himself back into a decent man for the most part. Yeah. And then Mad Max Fury Road is a whole other thing. But uh, yeah, definitely. And I think all of that to say that... a franchise is especially to be commended and really works then too. And you can you can find new life out of it. You can find if if money is the quote quote unquote end all be all with this, you can find a, a new way to be able to keep this profitable and successful and something people will keep coming back to. If in your midway entries or later entries, you are still able to either find a new avenue to work with that works well, or if you can just keep building momentum and building steam. Like, with the MCU, they had this background character of Thanos and this background issue that was in the foreground, the Tesseract, that kept them going there through some of those midway entries and where they were still getting things, you know, kind of off the ground and off and running with those. And that, and plus they just kept on introducing new characters and doing those movies with those characters. So that made it all all very successful just on its own. But that's that's a special case when you've got that. Like the instances that we're talking about, I mean, these are franchises that found some revival in in some ways, which is hard to find because by by the third or fourth movie with a lot of these you're going, well, it's kind of over or it's going a whole new direction. Like the Bourne legacy just went a completely different direction that was away from Jason Bourne but tried to attach itself to Jason Bourne and his story. And it turned into something that really genuinely did not work with apologies to Jeremy Renner and Rachel Weisz. It just didn't work. Yeah, you know, so let's talk real quick about what a franchise is, first of all. Nowadays, we think about it as some kind of expanded universe like the MCU where Captain America's got his own thing going on, Iron Man has got his own thing going on, but there are some movies, whether it's one of the Civil War movies or Avengers movies, they're crossing paths before they diverge again and do their own thing and then come together again. Then there's some where it's just part one, part two, part three, lethal weapon comes to mind, the Matrix comes to mind. It's just one thing. You're not going to get a spin-off necessarily. And there's talk about a lethal weapon five that could come around. Really? Yes, there is. Oh man. Well, and it's always pretty much been the same crew all the way through, but just in the last couple of years, Richard Donner, who was uh the director of all of them, passed away. Now there's talk Mel Gibson, who's been a big part of the characters as the role of Riggs, may actually direct the fifth one. Apparently there is a script. It is intended to be the last one that even Donner was talking about doing it. Well, now Mel Gibson might step up. We'll see about this. There's talk. They're not filming it right now. We'll see what happens. But it's also spun off into a somewhat successful TV series before they had a cast problem. 
But every single one of those never dropped the ball. Even when they did Lethal Weapon 4, which came out almost 10 years after the first one, they never had one entry that was bad. And the show, to some degree, was okay from what I saw. And then they had the jumping of the shark when they had the, the Riggs cast member having inappropriate behavior on the set. And they had to you know kill him off and recast the character, basically. And that's when the show kind of jumped the shark. But I never really watched the shows, but I heard they were okay. So it was successful in a way. So what you got good characters. You need to have good storytellers and know how to tell a good story. I mean, look at what the cast of Avengers Endgame was. There's no less than, what, 45 people that are to some degree front and center, and they did not drop those balls. They kept them all juggling, and there were still emotional punches that hit in those movies with a gargantuan cast and about 2,700 storylines kind of all finally converging. Nothing got dropped. It was planned. It was well executed. They knew how to tell a story. They had great cast to tell that story. Great directors. The Russo brothers have definitely got to get a lot of that love. Uh, Joss Whelan, even though he's kind of going through tough times right now, he had a lot to do with that too. They just did it well. And then you look at something where the you know DC tried to do something similar to what Marvel was doing, and they kind of dropped the ball. Zack Snyder had a lot to do with a lot of those. Well, Man of Steel wasn't a bad movie, but it wasn't great. Justice League and Matman versus Superman, it all just kind of fell apart. And really, at least the first phase of what they were doing, the first Wonder Woman movie was really the only good thing they had to show for it. And almost everything since then hasn't quite lived up to the billing, whether it's been Harley Quinn, who was a great standout, but now... Some of those other shows, they're not bad, but they're not great. They, It's not that you've got a bad cast or bad characters. It's just the way that it's being executed. And we've talked about Zack Snyder a little bit. I don't want to speak ill of him, but he just, it's time to let that kind of thing go and get somebody who knows how to master storytell. And he's not the guy. He's a frosting guy, not a cake guy. Right. And the story... And how you use those characters, I mean, it, it, it truly is central, and it's it's so very important um, when, you, when you take it all into account and look back on it all. It's like, that's usually where you figure out if, if something's got it or doesn't, if, if a series has got it or doesn't, as far as being able to keep the franchise relevant and working well. You can look to the story more often than not and, and go, this, this is where it is, or the, the writing. The script yeah. is it is it all full of little nods and or self nods or like little winks to what's come before, or is it truly well put together and well thought out and and builds well on what's already been established? Well, even more so than that, look at Batman versus Superman. I think is one of the best examples of when things go wrong. First of all, yes, little kids since the beginning of superheroes have always debated who would win in a fight, Batman or Superman. I mean, come on, Batman is not a chance, unless he's completely covered in kryptonite, and that's the only thing he's got. It's all Superman. But this movie comes together, how are you going to get these two epic good guys to fight? And what they came up with was just puny. And even worse was how they stopped fighting. They both have a mother named Martha. That's the reality that got them to, your mom's Martha too? Hey, Really? <laughs> That's what's, I mean, the, the what got them to start and what got them to finish were just completely contrived and they weren't believable at all. I've seen wrestling angles that were more believable than that. It was poorly done. That is saying something. Yes. 
But even more so than that, it was not faithful to the source material. Now, not all franchises are based off of something else. Obviously, MCU and DC Universe, those are all based off these long-going characters. But if you've got something that's established, and now you're going to do another version of it, and you're going to be less true to what has come before, and you're not faithful to the subject material that it's based on, that's another big collapse where you're going to have all of it fall all down around you. So having Superman does not kill. Superman does not kill. But he broke Zod's neck in Man of Steel. And that the movie wasn't bad for a lot of people right up until that moment. That is Superman making a difficult choice. And I get where the filmmakers are going. But that was like a cardinal rule that anybody that ever wrote the Superman comics, ever did a Superman show or a Superman movie, that was the rule. That was a big no-no, you do not break this. And they literally broke it. And a lot of hardcore Superman fans said, that's it, I'm done, I'm out. Because Lord knows where they're going to go after that. Now you've made Superman kill, who might be the first person ever, ever, in any iteration that Superman has ever killed, I think. I mean, even even in Superman 2 or Zod, a different Zod, and all of his bad guys, the Kryptonian criminals, you don't really know what happened to them. In a TV version of the extended scene, you see them being in handcuffs with their powers gone, being taken away. In the theatrical version, they just kind of fall into a pit in the Fortress of Solitude. You don't know what really happened to them. Nobody dies. And that was a big thing. So you've got to have those stories. You've got to have those characters. You have to be faithful to the source material. So if, in part, if it's not based on a comic book, then you can't have, you know, uh, Indiana Jones in part one, you know, stand for something where he's afraid of snakes. And then in part five, which is coming out, maybe there's a scene with snakes and he's not so afraid of snakes. Better yet, in part three, they show how he becomes afraid of snakes. You're faithful to the source material. What came before matters. And you don't just discount it because we've got a really good idea for part five. Well, yeah, but that's encounter of that's You can't have that because in part one, it's clearly stated that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's lazy writing. You have to fit within the pieces of what has been established before. Here's the big question I just thought of, Dave. Hit me. Hit me, Britney Spears. Actually, I was thinking of the Joker there for a second. Hit me! (laughs) Does the franchise need to have an ending? Does it need to have a clear-cut, this-is-the-end ending to it? As just when you're taking a slurp and having a little bit of your donut. I'm good. (laughs) Um, That depends. There are some things that are never going to end. Um, Batman, Superman, they will never have an ending to that. And I think James Bond, to an but extent... They, but they are kind of their own individual iterations yeah. of the same character. Yeah, it's never going to come to an end. You might have something like, say, the Dark Knight trilogy, where it's clearly a trilogy and designed to be a trilogy. There is no intention of making a Dark Knight 4. Um, could it happen? Sure, if the conditions are right, sure. But I don't see it happening. It would take a real act of something special to make it happen. But, you know, so Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale and all that crew, they had their say, they're done, then Ben Affleck took it. And now we've got Robert Pattinson going forward. And at some point, that will come to an end, and there will be something else and somebody else and another creative force, another director, so on and so forth. That will always end. Harrison Ford, as Han Solo... They've learned, well, as much as Alden Eichenreich, is that how you say his name? I think is how you say his name. I, I, That's I, about I, I apologize if I got it wrong. He did a good job. 
But uh, I think if the fans weren't already norked off about some of the stuff that was going on in Last Jedi, that when Solo came out, they had pretty much decided we're going to boycott. Because not that they didn't want to see a different Han Solo. I'm sure there was some, you know, apprehension to some degree. But it showed he could pull it off. He did a pretty good job. Now, nowadays, they're saying... Well, we've learned not to recast iconic characters. No, they didn't. They're just coming up with a line to say that. But will there ever be another Indiana Jones after Harrison Ford hangs it up? And by all accounts, this new one that'll be coming out in the summer of 2023, the fifth one, will be the last one. Harrison Ford at some point gave a famous interview. He says, when I die, so does, Her- so does Indiana Jones. They're- when I'm gone, he's gone. That's yeah, it. you've talked about that. And I think there's a truth to that. I think part of what makes indie work isn't just how he's written on the page. A lot of these actors, just based on who they are and their kind of personalities, most of these people are not dry vanilla sort. You know, there's quirks about them. Harrison Ford has certain quirks about him that you can see in Indiana Jones, you could see in Witness, you could see in all these movies. And a lot of that is what he brings to Indiana Jones, those expressions on Indy's face and Han Solo's face when he's confronted by a swordsman or Greedo at the bar or whatever is what kind of makes little bits of ingredients that makes that batter rise on that character. Other actors, as talented as they could be, aren't going to be able to fill that role. Now, did anyone say that same thing about Sean Connery with James Bond? Yeah, but other people have certainly found a way to make that work. And so that's that argument has been sold, but that's a whole different thing. I don't think I think there will be an end to the Indiana Jones franchise, and I think it'll come next year, and I don't see another one coming after that. I asked that question, Dave, because I think it is a problem that a lot of movie franchises run into or currently are sitting on is the fact that you and I have have mentioned just how important story is to to making a franchise work really well and being good as opposed to being bad or the ones that get revived have got compelling characters but they've got a compelling story they've got something that really works well from screenplay to screen the problem then is if we are going to emphasize story as heavily as we are then you've got to be able to find a way to pay that story off. And in some instances, in a lot of instances, you can find a franchise that has a story that feels like it has an incomplete ending to it and is one then that by default kind of keeps carrying out, carrying out, carrying out. And it it always does so with a mind to, we got to think about having another movie possibly out there in the future, rather than having a real complete ending. And then by the time that the ending rolls around, in many instances, the franchise has dragged itself out to the point where it's just a shell of its former self, and it's like the ending mercifully comes. That's what I think is so great about what what Christopher Nolan did with the Dark Knight movies. He said, we have a definitive beginning and end. We have a definitive trilogy here, and then we're going to be done, and we're going to hand this property off and let somebody else take it on. But for our telling of the story... This is as far as we go. This is all we will do, and we leave it there. and And they went out. They went on a very, very high note with a pretty good movie in the, the Dark Knight Rises. Not as good as the one that had come before it, but they went out with a very strong note rather than trying to stretch it on and on and on. Franchises, I think, leave enough threads for potential future movies that they don't sometimes completely seal off their story or finish their story off. I talked about the the Jason Bourne franchise a little bit earlier. Right now, if you look at that franchise in totality, 
you have a story that's incomplete. You have a story that is is not quite over based on the way that Jason Bourne ended. There's there's enough there to make you go, this doesn't feel like it's done. Whereas if they had ended after the Bourne Ultimatum, like I believe they should have, you have a story that has that yes, you could say has not concluded, but in many ways had concluded. And that even with the ambiguity, it's ambiguity that makes for a somewhat fitting way to be able to close out a character and a story. But they didn't. They decided, hey, we're going to keep going with this. We're going to attach it on in, a, in some ways to something else. And they just kept running with it. You mentioned how you felt about Prometheus. And then and then came um, Alien Covenant and all that came with that. That franchise right now is hanging in limbo. It needs another movie right now. It feels it has, like to tie off some of the elements of that story, and yeah. it's it it's uncertain if they're even going to be able to do that based on the tepid response of the last movie. They they are gonna, real quick. I don't want to go down the alien rabbit hole, but uh, there is work on a uh, a streaming series or a limited series or whatever form it will ultimately take that will be a series of some sort that's going to take place in the alien universe. But see, that's another part of the franchise element. And yeah. that's what Star Wars is facing right now, where they are going into the universe that's been created and going, what stories can we mine from this and, and get to work from out of this? Well, you better have something that, that is really compelling if you're going to keep it going. And hopefully, you've got a large enough canvas with your story that people are going to, that people are going to pick up the threads that you decide to try to offer up to them and go... Yeah, we'll keep taking this. Yeah, Star Wars is a Western set in space. It's At its very heart, that's really what it is. Uh, it has strayed from that formula and sometimes to its detriment. But The Mandalorian has found success. What is The Mandalorian? It's a Western. Absolutely in its most pure form. That's what Star Wars is. Star Wars is a Western that has got many, many angles. Well, how many Westerns are they? Does every John Ford movie correlate to every uh, uh, spaghetti Western? No, but they have those elements that are there that make them work. Um, and Star Wars will find success when they go that route. And to some extent, they are. In other extents, they're not. But th they've got more success than failure, but they could certainly do better. But once they figure out what Star Wars is... And they're telling a good story, which was where the sequel trilogy completely fell apart. The storytelling just completely fell apart. That's where that, and they betrayed source material. That's where it fell apart. Um, but if you think about other franchises, like, say, Lethal Weapon, each movie is about something completely unrelated to the next one. Now, you might have something that's brought up or a character that's introduced in one of the movies that keeps showing up, whether it's Leo Getz or Lorna or whatever. But it's very episodic. It's very episodic, but it's there. the only yeah. thing that's really connected to each other is these character arcs. I'm getting too old for this stuff, but time and time, Murtaugh sees that he's not and Riggs is eternally youthful until the last one. Even he's starting to feel he's getting too old for this stuff. So now when they get around to part five, what the real story is about all of them is the journey of these two cops and the people around them and how they're complete opposites from one another. But they are what the, the, I think the best version of a buddy cop movie, you know, better than 48 hours, better than anything in Die Hard, better than anything else. It's a, it's a bromance that is so unintended to happen, but it was intent, but it was destined to happen. They belong together. Uh, Murtaugh's going to retire in the third one. He finally says, I can't. I can't walk away from it. So now, if, if they do a part five, uh, they're both going to have to step away from it. And that'll be the end of their story. Batman will live on forever. James Bond will live on forever. I think casting and recasting Riggs and Murtaugh 
it doesn't work as well. It just it just doesn't. And so when that story is done, and I think you need Danny Glover and Mel Gibson to tell that story, and they've pretty much had everybody around them have been in from one part movie to the next movie to the it's the family reunion is what it is. So you and I t- work together every day. At some point. Maybe I get a job somewhere else. Maybe you get a job somewhere else. But then down the road, at some point, we come back together. That's the next movie, the coming back together. You don't see them every day, and then just that's it. You kind of revisit them. And so you get a lot of sitcoms that are revitalizing themselves because, well, let's see where they are. Well, Roseanne passed away, and now you got the Connors going forward. It's a different kind of a thing, but you're revisiting old friends. Maybe you duck out again, and then maybe there's a third revival that comes around um, that's kind of what makes those franchises work. And that's a character driven thing. If you don't it care is. about the characters, you don't care. But in star Wars, it's about the universe and there's always different corners in the universe that we can explore that we didn't get to explore before. So what that is, includes timeline, that as includes well. timeline. So what's the driving force between all of these? Is it the characters and story? Of course, it always matters. Is it about the universe? Is it about the possibilities? It really kind of depends on what the meat and potatoes are of that particular franchise that makes it work and makes you want to go back and see more and explore undiscovered corners of characters that you never met that might be thinly related to other characters, so on and so forth. And can you tell a compelling story with it? You have to. Otherwise, why are you You going? You have to. If you can't tell a good story, then why are we going? And the reason, you know, real quick sidebar, I rate a movie based on whether it's good or not. Uh, if it's entertaining at all, and that's good story, you know, then I'll give it a five out of 10. And anything north of that is gravy. Is it entertaining? Yes. Well, that's its most basic function. And if you can't tell me a good story or like say 2001, which is not much of a story, it's, it's very entertaining in a way, but not because of the story. I'll, of course, give that movie enough of a review that is positive because it's entertaining, not because of the story so much, but just because, wow, 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 is really... The visuals. Yeah, and it's up to you to kind of interpret the story. Right. You get 12 people see the same movie and come up with 12 different stories, maybe some connectivity, but it's very different for everybody that watches it. I don't like it very much. I do like it to a point, but it's not my favorite movie. Oh, Other you people, said. You it's said. their favorite movie of all time. I get that. That's totally cool. Yep. So why are we watching them? That's the real question. And that's the big question to ask with these franchises. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater on Highway 2 just down from the airport. Make sure you head on out there for $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. Talking franchises today. We've had our own little franchise with this podcast by now with how long we've been doing this. But movie franchises, Dave, have been around. They will continue to be around and I think we understand a lot of the reasons behind them because they are they are reasons that go beyond pure narrative. Sadly, they they are often economically based, financially based in terms of is it doing well or is it not doing well? Is it, is it successful or is it not? But it's cool then to see creative people who can come up with a creative story or a creative news story that comes with it. Right now, television-wise, I'm watching Better Call Saul's final season, and that is part of the Breaking Bad universe, which was its predecessor in terms of show. Better Call Saul is a prequel series. Have Jesse and Walter shown up yet? I'm not watching, not, so you're not going to spoil it for not me. Not yet. Okay. We're getting they'll off, wait. They'll wait for we're the getting, finale. We're getting awfully close, though. It's going to be any episode now, and there's only four left, but... It, it could be even the next one. But anyway, um, what's great about that series is the way that it has been able to build on the story and the 
the characters, some of them that had already been established, and yet it's built its own world within the world, or attached to the world that we already knew, and has found a way to make it compelling. How? Great characters and outstanding storytelling. And, oh, by the way, filming it pretty, pretty exceptionally helps, too. So, all of that to say that movie franchises work along the same parameters in terms of how well or not so well that they work. Yeah, but, you know, the one thing is, I know we're getting to the end of our allotted time that we got to go down. Look at an example of something bad. When Universal was going to do their... And not just Breaking Bad. No. <laughs> when they were going to do their Dark Universe... The Mummy was the only one that got made. But this there was, is the big example you were talking about. Yeah. There's, they, were, they had plans to do The Hunchback and The Invisible Man and Frankenstein and Wolfman. They were going to do all of this stuff, and they were all going to be connected. And that was their ultimate goal. We were going to make this giant dark universe with all these monsters, and at some point we'll do a monster mash bash, and they'll all come together. Well, let's do the first one. So they do the Tom Cruise-led The Mummy, and it just bombed. And because they weren't focused on building good bricks, they were focused on making a house. Well, how are you going to make the house if you don't have good bricks, you don't have good plumbing, you don't have good electrical, you don't have good this? You need to make sure that every piece that you're going to put into this giant house of fun works and is built right and designed right and put together in the right way. When the, when um, Got to give a lot of credit to Kevin Feige, boy. And he's been around in a lot of these. He's in some of the earlier X-Men movies, but he wasn't the driving force. He learned what worked and what didn't work. And clearly, he's executed it with the MCU, and they planned everything. And he oversaw everything. And every director that did each of those individual movies leading up into Phase 1 toward the first Avengers movie, they got a certain creative amount of leash to go yes. where they wanted and yep. make their own stamp. But they were also had to play within the yard. You can go and do what you want, but here are the parameters. Anywhere in here you want to go, you can go, but don't jump out over the fence because this is all going somewhere and it all has to fit. So each part was well-designed. How each part interacted with the other parts when they built the first level of this MCU, it all worked, and the basement was marvelous. Then they built the next level, and it was done so on and so forth. Debate rages on the fourth level as they're building the attic now. It may be a little more of a shoddy attic than parts three and two and one, but it's good, and it's entertaining, and it's pretty decent. Maybe we don't love the shingles design that they've come up with, but all things considered, this is a heck of a house, and they might be building off under the garage edition now, and so on and so forth. They've done it well. If you build a great movie, and you really build this movie, and you do it well, maybe there'll be a franchise, maybe it won't, but let's just make a really good movie and go from there. If Universal had come up with, let's make the ultimate mummy movie, you can put in little nuggets little threads that might lead somewhere. Maybe they don't. And if you build a good mummy movie, all right, now let's build off of one of those threads. Let's have it connect, but let's build a nice story on the other end of that thread. And then we can have some other threads that maybe feed back to the mummy or feed somewhere else. You start doing something like that and you focus on the movies and you start interacting and planning something well, then you have success. But clearly Universal, eh, we'll just do this. They'll take care of themselves. And they didn't. You have to plan it. You have to know how to tell a good story. You have to know what you're doing. They clearly had a good cast. Everybody in that movie is a good actor, actress. It just it didn't work because they did it for the wrong reasons. And they did not do it well. Another reminder, whether you are at the forefront beginning a franchise or if you are in the midst of it, get it right. Get it right. And there's still time that, hey, even movie franchises can hit the revive button 
and they can do it right, you even know, in the midst of it. I'll, let me let me say something positive since I've said some things critical. Then we can get out of here because I know you got some things going on. I would like to see Universal start again with the Dark Universe, but I want to see them do a modern take on these gothic movies. And do them right. Now, some of these monsters have kind of lost their teeth over the years. Some of the things that were frightening back in the day aren't that frightening. But I think if you did it in a little more modern take, you absolutely could. And then have a retelling of, say, like the Monster Squad, where all these great monsters come together. If you've never seen that movie, I'll loan it to you. You'll love it. And there is a way to get those sharpened teeth back into Dracula's mouth and to really make this Frankenstein monster scary again. Do them individually and do them right. They can certainly cross over. They didn't do the, you know, Boris Karloff version of Frankenstein and the Bela Lugosi version of Dracula with the intention of having a meet down the road, but they did, and they made it work, and they didn't have to build toward that as the overall goal. They built good bricks and worked their way up from that. I would love to see all of them come back and interact, but they have to do it right, and they just, they have to redesign it and get someone that knows how to tell a story I would love to see it try again. Once again, just like with that horror movie idea you had, I think we <laughs> need to get you in the writing room, Dave. I think that's what this inevitably means. Although then you may go the route of Rick and Nick who just never show up to do this podcast anymore. But they're, at least you're going and helping these movies. As long as you get people that are competent and know what they're doing and you have an excellent amount of cooks and that's it. You don't get all this studio interference. You get people that are capable. All right, we trust you. Do this. Make a good Dracula movie. Just Dracula. And then we'll worry about Frankenstein. And then we'll worry about the mummy. And then we'll worry about all these other things. If you build them and do them right individually, of course you can have them come together. It's almost already built in automatically. Executive producer, Dave Brooks. No. I can see it now. I can see it now. I'm what they call on the model railroad set. I'm the re-railer. Just keep, them, keep the trains on the tracks. Supervising producer, yeah. Dave Brooks. Brooks, something like that. He was kind of here that one day, Dave Brooks. <laughs> I don't think that will go very well on the credits. We don't know who this could. guy is, but by contractual obligation, we have to put him on the credits, Dave Brooks. Look for that in the future whenever the Dark Universe returns. All right, thanks for joining us for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at the movies.